Hey, James, what would you say if you got this text from a friend? Have you read The Inevitable? Um, I would answer yes, because I had Kevin Kelly on my podcast. Oh, see, that's what he meant, the book by Kevin Kelly? Yeah. But I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, so I thought— number one New York Times bestseller. Is that true? Yeah, this week. All right, so I didn't know that. I like Kevin Kelly. I've had him on my podcast, too. Kevin Kelly is a podcast slut. But if you didn't know—if you didn't happen to have had Kevin Kelly on your podcast, and you just got a text that said, have you read The Inevitable? No punctuation— I thought it was well, like I, still I thought it was like Russia and China declare war on America. <laughs> That's kind I of didn't funny. Know it, I like I happened just because I'm a fan of Kevin Kelly for 25 years. I would have known, but uh, and I've read like everything he's done forever. But, did you read the piece he did on that uh, that virtual reality company in Florida? In, uh, in Wired. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what are they called? I'm actually going to visit them next week. You know, I want it. Can I come? Yeah. Can you put me in your suitcase. Yeah. You want to come? I'm going, Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to Miami next week. You can come. And you're going to go visit them and you're going to see their stuff? Because I don't think they really show their stuff, No, do a friend they? of mine works for them, so I'm going to go visit. Okay, why don't you say that you have lost your um, mind, how about mind, and that I am your cognitive uh, seeing eye dog? All right. Well, you can come if you want. Yeah. And, yeah, but we don't have to hide it. Oh. <laughs> I don't have to lie to get you in there. Really, I don't have to... <laughs> Do you yeah. think? Do you think everything that's like extra in life you have to lie to get? Absolutely. All right. But that was a lie, so no, I don't. <laughs> James, you got a question for me today? Because after all, this podcast is called Question of the Day. Yes. Maybe we've talked about this before. Uh, whenever you say maybe, you know we have. It's funny. You remember the White House phone number from thirty-five years ago, but you can't remember a conversation we've had two weeks ago. There's a reason for that, you know. Yeah, I do know. After the age of 45, oh, your yeah. short-term memory oh, okay. becomes much But you know, uh, but you know, people slow. so people say that and they read it and they get very distraught, but the fact is that's the way that that's a huge blessing, right? Yeah. Cuz can you imagine what would happen if your short-term if you retained all your short-term memory? It'd be like a garbage pail that's I'm, overflowing every day, and you can't empty it out. I'd rather be happy than remember everything. <laughs> well, but no, this is the thing that's amazing about memory and that we don't really appreciate is we, as a species, I guess, remember the things that are important to remember. Think about that. You remember the faces of people you love or maybe hate. You remember numbers that are meaningful. You remember how to get to a place that's important. But you constantly are flushing out the things that aren't important, the short-term stuff that so, is. So why do you think after 45 it changes, though? Are we losing, like, gray matter? What am I, a neuroscientist all of a sudden? I have no idea. Although I did talk to this amazingly smart but also clever neuroscientist. Oh. Um, I can't remember his name. <laughs> I, I literally can't. I, it was during a week. It was right before I went on holiday, and I interviewed for Freakonomics Radio. I interviewed something... A, a lot of people in in a short period of days, and so I'm uh, I don't I don't know. But you'll if you listen to Freakonomics Radio, this was a guy who did a study. It was not about this, but it showed this. It showed that podcasts are actually pretty juicy stuff for the brain, which isn't not surprising because brains like stories and podcasts tell stories. So I interviewed him about the brain, and, and it was meant to be just a conversation about that narrow element, but his description of the brain itself and how it works and doesn't work and how we know what we know and how we don't know is 
wonderful. So uh, we'll, it'll be in a Freakonomics Radio episode well, sometime. Well, tell me, how, how, does the, how does storytelling relate to the brain? Uh, I, I don't have the recall to be able to tell you anything worthwhile about it other than uh, the parts of the brain that light up a lot when, they're, when you're engaged and excited light up a lot more when you're hearing uh, a story. But get, look, we, we... But you know what makes sense from an evolutionary perspective, oh which boy, I know you oh hate? Boy. But think about you it. You know, I think because you know I hate it, that's the only reason you bring it up. <laughs> no, but it, every makes, but it makes total sense that the ancestors... Every time. The ancestors who survived... The reason that poker is important from an evolutionary perspective. <laughs> well, I could get into that too. But the our ancestors who survived, as opposed to the people who didn't survive, who didn't become our ancestors, are the ones who were able to be excited by storytelling because that's how information got transmitted you from know generation to generation. I'm just guessing. But think oh, about oh, think about guessing. if you think about if you didn't understand like st- storytelling is how we transmit how people transmitted danger from what what was dangerous and what wasn't from from generation to generation. So if you didn't pay attention to the stories because you weren't excited about them, you die from the dangers. If you did pay attention to the stories, you survived and became our ancestors. So hence, storytelling was kind of this genetic trait that survived. Just for the record, I I have to object to this line of reasoning every single time you use it because Why? doesn't it make sense because even though i know that you know that i object i i don't want someone who might be listening to us for the first time think that i'm not not objecting okay but what's wrong with that argument just everything <laughs> James and I will have more to say about this in a minute, but first, we have to hear a quick word from our sponsor. Do not go away. Thank God Magoosh is sponsoring this podcast. I'm not even a huge fan of standardized tests. I'm not a huge fan of college. But if you're going to college, which millions of people do, you might as well get that extra advantage over everybody you're competing with because you're competing against a lot. So if you're in that situation, consider joining the 1.5 million students who have chosen Magoosh to prep for their tests online whenever and wherever they want. Magoosh provides online test prep for a wide array of tests, including the SAT and ACT, GRE, GMAT, LSAT, TOEFL, and Praxis. Magoosh offers a better solution than the traditional test prep model, affordable and effective test prep that is 100% online. You can log in anytime, anywhere, on your computer, tablet, or phone to study when you want, where you want. If you get stuck on a problem or concept, Magoosh offers friendly email help from their team of expert tutors. With Magoosh, you'll always be studying with the most updated, tried, and tested materials based on careful analysis of millions of students' answers. They don't overwhelm you with questions. They make every question count. You can also take notes, bookmark, read transcripts, and give them feedback. Magoosh gives you everything you need to make studying a breeze. Magoosh's complete test prep starts at under $100 and will be even lower after you hear our special discount. To top it all, Magoosh guarantees you'll improve your score or they'll actually give you your money back, which seems unbelievable to me. Join the 1.5 million students who have chosen Magoosh. Go to magoosh.com, that's M-A-G-O-O-S-H.com, right now and get 20% off with code QUESTION at checkout. Thanks, Magoosh, for your support. Prep smart, go far, enjoy the ride. You have a question for the day. I do have a question I think the episode's almost over, but we can get to a question. Okay, the question I have is, and like I said, maybe we've talked about this before. (laughs) (laughs) The question I have is, what have you retained from college? Give me like a bunch of facts 
that you have retained from college, from the four most important years of your life, supposedly? Well, you're a smart guy. You've done. You've had a lot of success in life. Some of it, as people do, must be attributed to college, or so you would think. Tell me something you've learned. One thing from the ages of eighteen to twenty-two. I don't. And think Nathan, I, can, I want um... you to keep this pause in there. The fact that he's having difficulty <laughs> answering this question is is I'm try- relevant information. So I'm trying to think of even any courses I took in college. You can't even remember a course you I, took in college. I remember. Uh, I remember I took a Latin What'd American history in? course, and I was trying to think if I could remember much about that. And I think that what I know about Latin America and Central America or South America all comes from way after college, from being a um, journalist and writer and reader. Yeah, I think I learned very, very little over on college. What I did learn, so I studied journalism, broadcast journalism, and I actually did learn a lot there. I learned like about, you know, I learned the history of journalism. I learned First Amendment law. I learned some technical stuff about writing and whatnot. You learned, I could read on one sheet of paper everything I need to know about yeah, what First probably. Amendment law. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm probably not your uh, worst rival in challenge. In, I, I, I probably agree with you more on the lack of value of spending four years doing something kind of maybe generically related to where you're going to go in the future. But I will say this, my college experience turned out to be incredibly fruitful because um, it was where I spent a lot of time figuring out with like-minded people how to live the life that I wanted to lead, um, which is a creative-ish life. And I led it in that case. I did some writing, um, but it was mostly in the form of music in this band that I was in. And that was, to me, so when I think of my college experience, it was like meeting a guy named Jeffrey Dean Foster, with whom I just clicked. Was he related to Alan Dean Foster? Uh, I don't know who Alan Dean Foster is, so. Famous science fiction writer. Oh, there you go. Wrote the novelization of Star Wars, A New Hope. How could I not know that? Yeah, I apologize. Um, And so mostly what I learned to do during college was how to be both a creative person, how to be the business manager of a fledgling rock and roll band, because I I was also doing that. So you think you would have learned that without college? Like, let's say you were interested in music and you were 18. Yeah, but here's... You would have gone to a local music store, they were hanging up all the signs, hey, we need a guitar player. Don't you think you would have, like, gravitated towards that culture anyway? Yep, without question. But the fact is, is that I met the kind of people who went to college and wanted to be in a band... And so whether that's better than or worse than the alternative, I don't know. But the fact is, is that that's what the situation was. And then there's something about being um, a small group of people within a really large community. In other words, we're all students at this university, but we had like this special thing, this special mission, this special project. And there was something about being not totally out on your own as this small thing, but being a little tiny bit of a circumscribed, you know, one member of this larger tribe but we had our own rules and our own mores and so on there was something that was very protective about that and i'm not saying that's a reason to quote go to college necessarily but you asked me what i learned and 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 that is that is what i learned i learned how to have kind of a tribal affinity (laughs) okay even though you had that and by the way i'm not making an argument that's a great thing no i i personally didn't have that i'm not arguing against college here i'm simple i really legitimately am asking you what you learned but you know, I'm just asking: Is that the, the tribal thing? I also learned, learned that I was a much less, a much worse writer than I thought I was. I think I may have told you H- the story you before, on, perhaps on this podcast. So if I have, forgive me. But 
I did a lot of different kinds of writing. I did, you know, nonfiction, some journalism, academic writing like everybody does. I was writing songs, and I, I wasn't really good yet as a rock and roll songwriter, but I was definitely getting there. I was getting better. And then uh, I wrote scripts for, you know, TV spots that I was doing for school and stuff like that. And then I was inspired for whatever reason to write a short story, a comic short story, because I'd been reading a lot of Woody Allen. And I wrote it, and I just thought that it was really good because I thought I was good. And I, I was good at these other these other forms of writing. And uh, I did give it to a, uh, my favorite English professor, and she she had no problem telling me how terrible it was. And How do you know she was right? Um, because with a little bit of high, first of all, you're right. She may not have been, but in this case, I believe she was. Um, I mean, writing is, you know, the assessment of writing is very subjective. So I think that's a good question to ask. But looking back on it, not that much after, I could see that it was pretty terrible. It was too clever by half, but not at all clever. And it was, forget about the fact that it was wildly derivative. It was also trying hard to be funny and it wasn't funny, but that was actually um, extremely useful. So so here's a follow-up question, which is, do you think it's worthwhile to have an experience that's a four-year experience or even a one-year experience if it results in just one or two major takeaways? And I, I'm on the fence with this, by the way. I'm asking your opinion. Yeah. So here's what's confounding about it. The data seem to suggest that people who go to college, whether they graduate or not, but graduation is a kind of another level up and then a master's degree is another level up. The data suggests that people who go to college, uh, the longer you go to college, basically in aggregate, not saying you're somebody's always going to point to, oh, Bill Gates dropped out, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out. Those are those are nice outliers, but you have to look at the aggregate data. And the aggregate, aggregate data suggests that the more time you spend in college, the better your life is. The happier, the healthier, the more money you're going to make. Okay, so I, I disagree with that sentiment, but go ahead. It's not I, a I, sentiment. I, no, it's just no, a set I disagree of data. with the you, data. Well, I you did. could. So we could argue about whether the data are legitimate, but and then you have to say, well, wait a minute. How do you know that the people who are happier, healthier, and earning more who happen to go to college wouldn't have been that way anyway if they hadn't gone to college? And that's where it gets tough because um, you have to find some observationally equivalent groups of people and sort of randomize them. And there have been some instances in history where that kind of happened. The military draft sort of did that. There's I think some- also you can't control for uh, debt since debt goes up every year. You're never going to you, – all well, that data you- you're talking about is data based on 20 years ago. People went to college 20 years ago where the debt was a much not, – not as much a factor as it is now. Yeah, but debt is – external to the question of whether people do better by having that experience. But the question is, so if if you're persuaded by the data, which I am, and you may not be, but I am, then you say, well, is it the experience of college or is it just a selection effect? And the people who go to college are the people who would have done better anyway. The data seem to suggest that it's not just that. So then you have to say, well, if college seems to be better on those dimensions, if you care about those dimensions, then what is it about college that's better? Maybe it's not going to all these classes and reading all these books and having all these conversations and being lectured to by people. Maybe it's just being out on your own for the first time for four years or for two years. And if that's the case, with, then— With still your similar demographic, right, which is fine, right. as opposed to a different demographic. Right. So one small change at a time in some sense. Right, and like if that's the home. case, then you have to say, well, maybe then we should experiment with a whole lot of— break down the college experience mm, yeah, I like that. into 10 different things. One of them is going out on your own. One mm. of them is going out on your own with people your cohort. 
What would happen if you went out on your own with people not in your cohort? What would happen if you gave people a couple years to go off and do something but not have to worry about making a living, right? That's one big piece of, of college is you are very selfishly pursuing the things that you're interested in. Well, you know, you know who we should ask? We should call President Obama and ask him a great why idea. Malia, his daughter, is having a, is taking a gap year. You know she's taking a gap year, right? I did hear that. What's, she got into Harvard. What's the, uh, a gap year. What's the number? 202-456-1414. How come it's not on your speed dial already? It's a good question. Here we go. See if we can get this darn president to... Not recorded. Monitor, but not recorded. Good to know. The White House. Yes, uh, we've got a question for President Obama about why his daughter is taking a gap year, please. Thank you for calling the (sighs) White House comments line. Comments line. If you're calling about White House tour information, press 1. If you're calling about presidential greetings... We don't have a comment, we have a question. Where's the White House questions line? I I think... (laughs) This gets less fun every time we do it. Because now, this guy... The first couple times we called, I felt like he was being... Like, very official. Now he just sounds like an Listen to him. And the music. We should find out who he is and call him. Uh, All right, we're not going to get through again today. All right, well... Maybe next time. That's it. (laughs) Can't wait until next week for more QOD. Hear a bit of our next show right after this. Thanks to Magoosh for sponsoring today's episode. Magoosh's online test prep is the easiest way to prep for the GRE, GMAT, LSAT, SAT, and ACT, TOEFL, or Praxis. Magoosh offers top-quality lesson videos and practice questions at an affordable price. Go to magoosh.com, that's M-A-G-O-O-S-H.com, right now to get 20% off with code QUESTION at checkout. Here's what we have lined up for the next episode of Question of the Day. This is Nagin. Nagin Farsad. Hello. Who, hi, Nagin. I have a question for you, Nagin. Yes, let's hear it. Um, I want to know, how do you make white people laugh? <laughs> That is, in fact, the title of my book, How to Make White People Laugh. See, Stephen, preparation. Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry. <laughs>